interesting. So we'll probably cut all that out or make it a side episode about his dark materials. I was going to say, none of that is relevant, and I don't think it should be in the episode. Hello, and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework, the pop culture podcast where we assign homework and hopefully make it a little bit fun to do that homework and then think about it, talk about it. I am your host, uh, your co-host, Pete, and this week I am sick, or at least recovering from a uh, lingering cold, which has been super fun. With me, as always, is my fellow co-host, uh, Martha Sullivan, and this week, like every other pop culture aficionado in the universe, I am an amateur movie critic. Yes, I think we're all movie critics this week. It'll be great. <laughs> uh, with us this week, um, returning for her second tour on our show, is uh, Martha's sister, Lizzie. Hello. Today, I am just enjoying that it's Friday. It has been a long week. And so I am doing this podcast with a glass of wine in my hand. Nice. Hashtag goals. Cue that Rebecca Black song from like 10 (laughs) years ago. Oh my God. Is that 10 years old? No, no, it's not, it's not that old, but it might be like seven or eight years ago. All I remember about that song is that I liked it better when they covered it on Glee. (laughs) Fair enough. That's all I got for you. Well, as uh, as Martha alluded to uh, with her introduction this week, uh, we are talking about the Oscars. Um, the uh, We are recording this on Friday, uh, five days after the Oscars happened, which gave us all plenty of time to stew in various uh, other criticisms about uh, the Oscars, who won, who lost, who was deserving, who wasn't. Uh, and you'll be listening to this on Wednesday, a whole another week after the Oscars, so you'll have time even more to think about it. Um, so we'll be talking about the Oscars, but we also want to be talking about the Oscars in a broader context of award shows and uh, what their sort of what role they play in our culture, not just as ways to uh, uh, praise various pieces of work, but also the way that the shows and the awards themselves function in our culture. So we'll be getting into some higher bar uh, theory and discussion about award shows in general. But before we do any of that, we really should start off by uh, sharing with you, our listeners, what our pop culture credentials are. These are the things that we have most recently consumed, uh, other than wine, in Lizzie's case, not edited for... Uh, guilty pleasure factor. So, Lizzie, gonna put you on the spot and start with you. Hey, um, the last thing I consumed was the, I looked this up, 2015 December's album, What a Terrible World, What a Beautiful World, because their new album is coming out next week, and I'm going to see them in April, and so I'm getting jazzed about that. Nice. Um, I'm yeah. just going to jump right in and say what my pop culture credential is, because it's the Decemberists' new song that came out today, uh, Once in My Life. LOL. Have you have you heard <laughs> that yet? Um, no, because I was walking home, and so I just wanted to listen to the whole album instead of dealing with this singles thing on Spotify, but sure. I will be soon. Uh, it's a lot... It, it sounds more like Decemberists than their other single off this new album. Okay. Because I have listened to that one, the one that already came out. Right, right. That one's sort of like more like techno-y, computer-y. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And fun trivia fact, the last time I saw The Decemberists was with Pete in Milwaukee. Oh, that was a good show. It was a good show. I've seen The Decemberists too. Yeah, well... (laughs) Just once, though. It was a jazz <laughs> fest, and it was super fun. No, I just don't listen to a lot of music. But, um, Pete, how's the single? Um, I like it a lot. It's, uh, again, it's more classically Decemberist than the previous one, although it's also somewhat, like, anthemic. Um, it sounds big. Uh, I, the This is a super, like, weird little thing that I noticed that is unique because of my love of U2. The guitar strumming pattern sounds like a U2 B-side song, uh, Hallelujah, Here She Comes. But uh, that's kind of neither here nor there. Um, Yeah, my credential is I've been doing some freelance work for my dad. So I have been having TV on in the background that I don't have to pay too much attention to. So I have been uh, rewatching all of Gilmore Girls. Hmm. Um, What part are you at? I am nearing the end of season six. I've Uh. also been driving... I have also been driving my husband crazy because when I rewatch Gilmore Girls, I start with the season finale of season three uh, because I don't particularly care for the first three seasons. of. Well, that's not true. I just the season three finale is one of my favorite episodes. It's when Rory graduates from college or from high school. Sorry. And frequently I just I skip all of the stuff that comes before. I don't care about it all that much. Um, But my husband is a completionist, so he's always like. How can you rewatch an entire show and skip like half of it? And the answer is, I just don't care that much. <laughs> so, um, but yes, already. exactly. Yeah, so, yeah it'd be I'm a different. The... It'd be different if you were watching it for the first time. Well, obviously. Um, but yeah, I'm nearing the end of season six. Uh, and honestly, I'm. I'm relieved. I know that season seven gets a lot of negative attention, but honestly, I I find season seven to be more fun than the back half of season six. So, because it's so bad, it's so bad. What is what number is the last season other than the Netflix revival? Seven. Oh, seven. okay, okay. Yeah, sort of infamously, season seven is this is the season that the original showrunners uh, did not come back for. Hmm. Uh, so a lot of people have kind of mythologized uh, that season as being really, really terrible. And honestly, it's fine. The storytelling choices in the latter half of season six are way worse. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's where I'm at with that. Yeah. No, it was such a, like, F you, blow the show up, we gone. Although, my least favorite storyline does happen in season, season seven. Um, because the, the custody battle that one of the characters oh. goes through is so truncated for TV purposes. And is so, it's one of those, like, I am related to lawyers, so I know that this whole thing is inaccurate BS and is just awful um but also my favorite episode is in season six so it's it's a mixed bag all around uh two two things one uh lizzie i'm really glad that you're the guest for this because you are like hitting the perfect venn diagram sweet spot of martha and my's uh pop culture credentials 
um, where otherwise there'd be like very little overlap, but instead there's a ton <laughs> of overlap because you're bridging the the gap. Um, two, it's a shame that there's already a podcast out there called Gilmore Guys, which I think does a episode by episode recap of Gilmore Girls. Because uh, if that niche wasn't already filled, you, uh, the two of you, and Marin should do one. Pete, Liz, and I not only went to the live show when it Which came was to Chicago two years ago. Two years ago. Um, but those guys, well, one of them just did an episode recap podcast of the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which was thoroughly charming. Mm-hmm. It was so good. Both the show and the podcast. Yes. Right, right. But yeah, Liz and I are big fans of Gilmore guys. Um, it was great. It's been over for a while, but and, and I'm just uh, saying yeah. it's a shame that they've already taken that niche. I honestly, I don't know if I'd have that much deep stuff to say about the show. It would <laughs> mostly just, I don't know, the, my most interesting stuff to say about Gilmore Girls is like in relation to the stuff that I enjoyed about it when I watched it as a teenager and the stuff that I enjoy it now as an adult. Because, um, yeah, Rory's the worst, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm like, I like to read too. Get over yourself. Yeah. Also, I don't want to talk about this anymore. I want to talk about the Oscars. Now. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a pretty good segue then to actually get into talking about the Oscars. Um, since your homework for this week was to watch the Oscars, we're going to spend the first little bit of this episode just talking about this uh, past year's Oscars before we go into the bigger discussion about award shows in general. Uh, Martha, I know you have a lot of thoughts about the Oscars, but I'm going to throw this to Lizzie first, uh, since she's the guest, uh, to, uh, get, <laughs> to, to lay the foundation. Um, I don't know. Generally, I thought this year, the show, it just, it felt really like all the wins were inevitable. I don't know. There wasn't anything super exciting or crazy or anything, um, I luckily saw all the movies except for Shape of Water. So unfortunately, really? I don't have a lot to say there. I did. I know it was the one I missed. So of course it was Actually, the one that won Best Picture. <laughs> so real fast, before we get really into the show, um, yeah, Lizzie saw everything except Shape of Water. I saw all the Best Picture noms except The Post. Uh, Pete, what is your what was your status in terms of which films you'd actually seen before the uh, telecast? Right. So when we were talking uh, two weeks ago uh, in the little snippet that ended up being the bonus episode that uh, we released last weekend, I thought I had done better than I did in watching uh, the various Best Picture movies because I forgot that there were nine this year. Um, I did not see, let me pull up a list of even who was nominated. Um, I did not see Three Billboards, which I'm pretty okay with. Uh, I did not see The Post. I did not see Darkest Hour. Um, and I did not see Call Me By Your Name. So, so, you know, not, not, that's what, like, I saw five out of nine, that's not, great but not terrible um eventually i'm sure i'll see call me by your name eventually i'm sure i'll see darkest hour uh i have no interest in seeing um three billboards and i'll probably see the post at some point too i kind of wish you'd seen three billboards because i just keep martha and me from talking too much about how much we hate oh no no yeah yeah martha and i already talked about this uh (laughs) last time so (laughs) 
Um, yeah, I spent, as you could you could tell from my Twitter feed, I spent most of the telecast very convinced that Three Billboards was going to win Best Picture and, like, reconciling myself to that fact. So we, um, like, the, the way the Oscars are done, it, for Best Picture at least, is it's like a weird ranking tiered system that can somehow, like, sometimes allow Dark Horses to come, like, from behind and win. And I think that would have been the only way Three Billboards would have had a chance. Because um, I don't think it was, like, anyone's first or second pick for Best Picture out of the Although, list. It won... We live in a world... We live in a world where Crash won Best Picture. Let us not forget that. Yeah. Well, and also, like, Three Billboards won a lot of the Guild Awards that sort of predict the Oscars. So it won, I think, like, the Producers Guild and maybe the Directors Guild or something. Let me see. I can get this information. Right, but I I think it kind of soured after it won those awards. Like, it, it had a weird narrative, like, its award season narrative of, like, it coming out of the gate very strong, and then the more people... I think it won... I think it was winning up until the SAG Awards, which are very, very close to the Oscars. Hmm. This, this is my, this is my feeling about it. And Pete, feel free to stop me if you think I'm getting too far ahead of the conversation, and if you have other stuff you want us to hit on first. Um, Three Billboards is the kind of movie that makes people feel smart by watching it. It is the kind of movie that I could have seen the Oscar voters going, look how, um, like, look how up ons about social issues we are. We're voting for the one about uh, how the police system is broken, um, particularly since it has an all white cast and a uh, well known and kind of storied uh, writer and director. Um, and a very uh, prestigious cast um, in terms of quote-unquote safe picks for uh, for Best Picture, I would have given it a toss-up as between um, Darkest Hour and Three Billboards. You wouldn't have thrown the post in there as a safe pick. like cause the, to- post, the, the post was filling out the ballot. The post was never going to win. Particularly not when um, Spotlight won so recently. Oh, that's a good point. Well, especially because The Post was just not a great movie. It was fine. I only saw it because I went to one of those Oscars, see all the best picture things. Like, it was fine. It it seemed like the classic Oscar bait film, though. Like, it's Spielberg and and Streep and Hanks. Except that I think it was the classic Oscar bait, and nobody was really trying. Mm. There is always, there are always a couple, there are always one or two nominees that are there just because people feel like they should be there. Mm -hmm. It's why Meryl Streep, if she's ever in a movie, she'll get nominated because people feel like she should be. And she was this year. Right. Because she was in a movie this year. Right. Um, So I, yeah, I don't think the post was ever going to win. Liz, did you want to say anything more about the (laughs) I feel like I derailed you completely. No, I just, I feel like every year, or not every year, but I've learned the most interesting things for me tend to pop up in, like, Best Original Screenplay, and I find the main awards to be, well, mostly Best Picture to be less and less meaningful about, like, the best movie I saw, or most interesting movie I saw, and I think that held up this year since Get Out won Best Original Screenplay. 
but which I was very excited for. Yes. Um, I was very, very glad that Roger Deakins finally won that friggin' cinematography award that he's been up for like 13 times uh, before this. Uh, that was I really. I said he had to win for not a great movie. I liked. But it was so beautiful. Yeah, it was I... so beautiful. I, I liked there Blade Runner. There were a lot Runner. of beautiful movies that happened this year. I, I would not have been sad if Hoyte von Hoytema, who I really just wanted to name drop because I got to say that amazing name, uh, won for Dunkirk. Like, Dunkirk was very well shot. That's a That would have been a reasonable win for that. But Blade Runner was, was Deakins' crawling through a bear carcass, eating an elk heart, freezing in the snow, Leo-like cinematography performance. Like, if you can't win so for this... So it's his apology Oscar. No, no, it's like, if I can't win... Like, look what I'm doing for you people. If this doesn't win it for me, what can I do to please you? Um, Peter, if you don't think The Revenant was an apology Oscar for Leo, I have something to tell you about the way that Hollywood <laughs> runs this show. <laughs> I, I mean, I I believe it was an apology Oscar, but on the flip side, it was a little bit of a, what more do I need to do for you people on his end? Uh, I know this is like so not the point, but I also feel like the narrative of Leo being overdue for an Oscar. I'm like, calm down. He's, he's like 40, yeah. whatever. He's fine. Oh, yeah. I have some things to say about when men and women are allowed to win Oscars also. <laughs> I, I wonder if it has anything to do with the rampant uh, gender inequity in our society. It um, does. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's actually one of it. It's, it's actually one of the other reasons that I, um, really enjoyed the awards this year regardless of how um predictable they were because i do think they were in some ways um but in others i think the best actress category i think i read somewhere had the highest median age for that category that it's had in like 15 years i mean i'm looking at that list now and other than like shirsey ronan like margot robbie's in her 30s i think no, she's not. She's my age. Really? Yeah. Well, like, Shirsa Ronan and, and Margot Robbie then are in their, like, upper 20s. Then you got Sally Hawkins, Frances McDormand, and Meryl Streep. They're all in their, what, 50s, 60s? Sally Hawkins isn't that old. Um, well, re- regar- regardless, yeah. It was also the first year in a while that both the Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress were above 50, I think. Yeah, although I wouldn't have given it to Frances McDormand personally. Like, I love I would... her, but... <laughs> no, I wouldn't have either. Although I actually have sort of come to terms with that win. Um... Although you should see Itania, so... That's... Yeah, probably. I don't know. I would have given it to Laurie Metcalf before Allison Janney, I think, is the change I would have made there. Not having seen, like, half of the, the actresses up for leading role, uh, Sally Hawkins was incredible considering she was playing a deaf woman. Okay, so these are my feelings about the Best Picture win. Thank you, Pete, for segueing so nicely. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, Mar- Martha's been I've sitting there seen... be like, somebody mentioned Shape of Water. Come on. Okay, so I, I've been seeing a lot of feedback about how The Shape of Water was the quote-unquote safe choice for Best Picture. And in some ways, I do think that that's true. Um, It is, Guillermo del Toro typically makes movies that are love letters to film, and this is. I mean, it's filmed like a silent film. It, you know, takes place above a movie theater. Like, there's a lot in here that is just sort of celebrating film in general, and the Academy loves that. Um, But also, 
it's a big budget fantasy movie starring a disabled woman, a black woman and a gay guy who unite to take down a vision of toxic masculinity. It is an unapologetic celebration of female sexuality. And these are all, these are all things that not only the Academy very rarely awards, but that movies themselves are usually severely lacking in. I think it is the safe choice insofar as Get Out probably was the best movie that got made last year. Uh, so as between the two of those, it's the, I think, safer choice, you know, however we want to define that. But I also think it's pretty remarkable that it won. The, and and to, to throw on top of all that, the central romance is between a woman and a fish man. So it's not like a, you know, there's a lot in there that could make, that, that that tweak the idea of safeness, like that that undermine that idea. Honestly, the monster romance is like the least unusual thing about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mostly, I just think it's remarkable. Look, the the Academy Awards never, or not never. Um, I actually I made a list from 1960 to the present of all of the years where a quote unquote like a genre film, a you know sci-fi action fantasy. Um, horror. Uh, I made a list of all the years where those movies were nominated. And in the last, what is that, 60 years of filmmaking, we only end up with six, nine. Somebody was unprepared. 21 years where a genre film was nominated and so that that's about a third of the time and two years where it won one i'm which, counting wait, which two... wins 1999 silence of the lambs wins uh, 2003, Return of the King wins. Mm. Okay. End of list. Huh. Yeah, the Academy fame. Yeah. I mean, these are, I guess, well, 2000, if you want to count Gladiator. I don't know if we can count Gladiator. I'm on the fence. Um, I also think that one's weird because that was the same year Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon got nominated for Best Picture. So, you know. Um. But just looking at some of these movies, it's like you have movies nominated that, you know, we don't. <laughs> I mean, like, like looking at, at the nominations this year, we have Call Me By Your Name, which is a gay romance. We have Dunkirk, which ostensibly is a war movie, but it's a Chris Nolan war movie. So it's all sort of like, you know, he's he's playing with time because he's Chris Nolan. Uh, we have Get Out, which is not only a horror movie, but also like a deeply uh, insightful political movie that's like looking at race relations in america uh we have phantom thread which is gorgeous and super like i don't even know how to describe that it's like lowercase q queer in its sensibilities um yeah it's a total subversion of the genius man trope yeah yeah um and then we have the shape of water like half of the movies in the best picture list are doing, like, really interesting things that would not be considered, I, I don't know, like, mainstream or safe by any standards. 
Well, and the last year that a horror movie was nominated for Best Picture was 1999 when The Sixth Sense was nominated. So Get Out's nomination, I mean, I was reading some fairly appalling articles about how a lot of Academy voters just didn't watch it. Yeah. Because they didn't consider it to be Oscar-worthy material, which is... Oh. <laughs> yeah, and 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 some of some of that reason I think was because of the it's a horror movie, but I think a lot of it too is it's like that's ah, a black movie, like it's 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 a message that we don't want to grapple with or care about, um, which is something I want to talk about later, which is the role that uh, award shows are playing in our current political climate and the changing sort of voter base and identity of various things. But let's put a pin in that for later uh, to wrap up our Oscar discussion proper. Um, We've already said that there have been that this uh, year had very few surprises. Um, surprise aside, was there any disappointment for you guys in who won? I Gary Oldman. Really... Gary Oldman. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a pity uh, win. It's a lifetime achievement Oscar. Yes, yes. We were talking about apology Oscars before. Men get lifetime achievement Oscars. When they get awarded Best Actor, they're getting awarded for their body of work. And that is a terrible, terrible system to be in place. I mean, I also think that the Best Actor category this year was super weak. So. They, mm, I would have, yeah. Picking my my picks for a, for the best actor nominations would have been almost completely different. I would have kept Daniel Kaluuya there because without him, I don't think Get Out works. Yeah. Um, and, oh, and, absolutely. And and Daniel Day Lewis, like I'll, I'll I'll give him the the nom, you know, anytime he shows up on screen. So, whatever. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Um, I was no. In- I would have nominated. I would have nominated Hugh Jackman for Logan. Yeah. I would have yeah. nominated um well, Patrick Stewart for best supporting for Logan too. That was the one that yes. like really disappointed me that he wasn't even nominated. Well, and did anybody actually see Roman J Israel? Like what no. is <laughs> from, yeah. from, from what I've heard Denzel did a really good job in it. But I'm also sure. like what? What are we what? <laughs> yeah. Um, I was a little surprised and a little disappointed that they gave De- uh, Guillermo del Toro best directing as well as best picture. And that's like no shade on del Toro. Um, he's amazing and I, I want him to win both. But this was a year where I would have been pretty happy if they had split the bill between best picture and best directing. Um and as I had been saying before we started recording here, looking at the best directing list, I would have been happy with any one of them winning. So I was happy that Del Toro won. Um, I just kind of wish that they had like shared the love a little bit more. Um, I th- I almost thought after um, after Jordan Peele won best original screenplay, I allowed myself to hope that he might win best director. Mm-hmm. Um, I I saw something that called the best original screenplay, the award for the best idea that anyone had for a movie that year, which I think is actually a fairly great way of looking at it. Um, but also, yeah, no, I do think... I was... Sorry, Martha, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, that's just what I was saying earlier. I think that the movies that tend... Like, if you look back, I, which I did a little bit, the movies that you remember, like, 
that I think history remembers more fondly tend to be nominated for best original screenplay. So things like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and like most Wes Anderson movies and I don't know, just other movies like that that are just more interesting and creative tend to get like, or even this year in like the big sick pop up in original screenplay. That was such a good movie. Yeah. Well, and frequently if you have a best original screenplay, where the that movie is also nominated for like other big awards. I mean, without Jordan Peele, Get Out doesn't happen on like multiple levels. But you can see a world where it's a completely different movie if someone else directs it. Yeah. So, I also I also was pulling real hard for Greta Gerwig on like a number of different levels. I think it is insanity that Lady Bird didn't win anything. Agreed. Like because it, it was up for a fair amount. Well, and I think it was like by the numbers the highest reviewed movie of last year. Yeah. And that's one where, like, a lot of the discussion around it has been, like, well, she's young and and Tracy Ronan's young, so, like, they'll get another crack at it. But that's still sort of a disappointing line for that. Well, and that doesn't mean anything. It's like, why should we not reward this achievement if we think she's going to win stuff in the future? Yes. I guess, Martha, what would you have given it that it, I mean, just... As we're talking, it seems like there are a lot of things that we thought were very worthy that it was nominated in the same category as. I will say I'm I'm with you, Pete, in that every like five out of or six out of the nine Best Picture nominees, I thought were excellent movies. Um, So it is hard for me to say, oh, well, I would have taken it away from this movie uh, to give to Lady Bird. Um, I haven't seen I, Tanya, but I I really think that Laurie Metcalf did something kind of amazing in the in her uh, role in Lady Bird. Um, I also think that Greta Gerwig, um, best director, would have been uh, a solid choice for her, although trying to choose between her and Jordan Peele is a little bit rough for me. <laughs> um, I don't know. I just, I, I think it's bonkers that it didn't win anything. And I say that without being able to definitively say, Oh, well, I would have given it this over this other movie. Yeah. I mean, if we're, if we're playing God here, I probably would have given it best screenplay and then Jordan Peele best director, but. And then Del Toro can take a uh, best picture. I mean, again, I didn't see The Shape of Water. I don't mind that oh, it right. won. I just don't have a strong opinion on it. I think the the thing that really salted me, though, was that I really would have given Willem Dafoe Best Supporting Actor over Sam Rockwell. But I did not see The Florida Project. I think I'm but... one of, like, 30 people that saw The Florida Project. The problem is, and Sam, I love Sam Rockwell. I think he's a great actor. The problem is that his role in Three Billboards is not a hard one. It's, he's playing dumb and he's playing angry. And those are not nuanced or difficult roles. Like, I think that there were better and more interesting performances that we could have rewarded instead of just giving it to him because the makers of that movie thought he was undergoing some sort of redemptive arc 
from being a virulent racist at the beginning. To still being a virulent racist at the end, but maybe now he also likes women a little bit. Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) Yeah, the more I hear about uh, Three Billboards, the less I'm inclined to see it, and I was already pretty uninclined to see it, so... Uh, I mean, yeah. it's a movie. Right. Um, One of the podcasters I listen to calls it that movie that I guess was a thing. <laughs> yeah. that That's kind of, it feels kind of like a crash type movie where it's like, oh, it's, it's capital I important because it's tackling capital letter important issues. Uh, but it's all just white people doing it and not doing it well. And that was why I had really steeled myself for it to win. Because part of me was like, all right, I know that this voter base, no matter how, like, I know that they have tried to get some fresh blood in the Oscar voter base, but I know that they are predominantly old white dudes. And last year, Moonlight won. And I can absolutely see a world in which they go, okay, well, last year we voted for the black movie. This year let's all pat ourselves on the back for picking the quote-unquote important movie that also happens to star all white people. Yep, that would be a very traditional Academy uh, move. (laughs) Because sometimes we can't have nice things. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I will say, so this is kind of segueing into one of the um, discussion questions about the changing landscape of voters, because I know the Academy has very publicly said they want to update their voting block, get in younger, more diverse voters. And I really recommend Vulture, the website did a series talking to some of the new people that kind of came in under these policies. And it was interesting because I was reading through their ballots. And I mean, granted, it was a sample size of eight people, but they all were much more positive towards three billboards. And Vulture, of course, didn't disclose their names, but they did give some identifying information about them. And it was, you know, again, a pretty diverse group of people, which was interesting. So it, I would say three billboards, I mean, it didn't win, so it doesn't matter, but it wasn't just, you know, the, the old people pick, which was interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that that's, I think, a good segue point, unless anyone's got any final thoughts on this year's Oscar show in general. Um, mostly I would just, I would just really like it if we could stop giving the best actor award to domestic abusers. Like that would be cool. Oh, is Oldman come under a, he, I mean, he beat his wife with a telephone. How long ago was that Lizzie? Like 10 years ago? So it was long, it was like 20 years ago. Although interestingly, not that this definitively goes either way, his son, who is the daughter of that woman, actually penned something this week defending his dad. Um, You messed something up there. You said the son who's the daughter of the woman? Oh, I'm sorry. Who is the son of the woman who accused him of that. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Um, so, I mean, I, I, you know, everything's complicated. And as someone who works with domestic abusers, I can understand that she, he may still have done that. But it was sort of an interesting wrinkle I thought I would bring he up is also He is also a Weinstein apologist. So just... Mm. Oh, yeah. I mean, Good, and he's great, had great. Done horrible things before as well. So, yeah, I mean, Gary Oldman's not a great, not a great person. <laughs> <laughs> quick quick sidebar i heard on a, a different podcast can't remember which one it is now uh they had a good idea of 
uh, and obviously this would never happen, uh, but of introducing the but credit. Um, so rather than an and <laughs> or a with or an also starring, you you have a but for like, you know, Seven's credit billing would now be Brad Pitt, William, or uh, hello, Morgan Freeman, but Kevin Spacey. <laughs> well, and Martha, your point about rewarding domestic abusers still stands given that Kobe won an Oscar. So, you know. For a terrible movie. I watched it. It's boring and awful and like the biggest, um, the biggest hand job anyone has ever given themselves like on film. It's ridiculous. uh, That was for animated short. Yes. Yeah. To be fair, I've seen none of those movies, so I have no opinion, but I don't like Kobe. So that's an easy one. The animated short category, the animated short category is always really interesting to me because I'm constantly fascinated and impressed by the stories people can tell in like 12 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this decision I do not understand. Like there were examples of actual legit artistic achievement and I just, I'm mystified by it. A problem that like categories like animated short and animated film and and documentary to a certain extent used to have this problem is that everyone in the academy is voting for it and many of them just don't watch the movie so like um i i'm sure that anim- that the deer basketball one i shouldn't say i'm sure one possible reason it might have won is that no one knew anything about any of those movies and people were just like oh one of those has kobe bryant in it or is about it or something i know about him i'll vote for that one um, like yeah. I'm sure that's why. F- was there no Pixar short in front of Coco? A- that Olaf's they Frozen no, Adventure. Oh God! <laughs> uh, yeah. but like, I'm pretty sure that's why Ferdinand was nominated <laughs> like... for an animated feature film. Everything I've heard about it is it's like it's banally bad. Um, but the Academy's kids have seen it, well, so because... whatever, we'll put it up there as a as a possibility. Yeah, the Academy pretends that only Disney and Pixar produce worthwhile animated movies. So, like, they'll throw a bone to uh, other options, but they're never going to win. And I'm sure I haven't I haven't seen Coco yet. I really do want to. And I'm sure that it's a beautiful movie. I just saw it last night. Uh, Uh, It was amazing and very funny. Well, it's a parody at this point that if pixar makes a movie that year it's gonna win best picture this like this was deserving Mm. i haven't seen the breadwinner i really want to but that's the only one in this list that like i think would have a fighting chance with this is a this year is a bad this year is a bad example because like i said i haven't seen coco and i'm sure that it's beautiful um but it is sort of i i I just think it's it's kind of ridiculous that at this point like there's no the animated movie category is not a mystery anymore, and I don't think it ever will be until Pixar stops right. making movies. And part of the problem, too, with that is that so many of the Academy people who vote for it don't watch these movies, but it's like, hey, what does my kid like? Or, you know, I saw this movie with my kid. It was fine. I'll vote for it, uh, which is not a good way to select the best film. Um, let's segue then to uh, sort of bringing this into a wider discussion about award shows in general. Um, and what they we, we talked a little about the changing landscape of the voters. Um, one thing I, I 
I thought about this category and what I wanted to talk about it, uh, not only because of the Oscars, but also of the Grammys this year. Um, in the last couple years, uh, you, you know, what, 2016, I think, was the hashtag Oscars So White. Um, and then after that, uh, Moonlight won the following year. And then this year, there was a, a, certainly a greater amount of diversity than um, you know, in years past, perhaps, among the winners, uh, whereas the Grammys sort of has doubled down on being more sort of a, a I don't want to say stodgier, but like an older, whiter, maler um, fan base. So it it's interesting. My disclaimer, my disclaimer here is that I have never watched the Grammys. Uh, all I know about them, I learned secondhand from other pop culture analysis but from what i can tell the grammys are almost a joke at this point i mean i like to say that even though i love watching the oscars they're not an indication of the best movie they're frequently not an indication of the best movies that came out um that year and it sounds like that that is even more true and more egregiously true in the case of the grammys so in terms of the show production one great example of this is that in this most recent Grammys, Sting, who's a fine musician, no shade on Sting, performed three separate times this year alone. Um, and Lord, who was up for Best Album, performed zero times. So, like, right off the bat, we're getting some weird choices in the production of the spectacle of the Grammys. Um to go off what you said, Martha, about it being, like, almost worse than a joke, for the longest time, the um, best new artist category was often considered a graveyard. Like, if you won that, that was the death knell for your career. Because year after year after year, I they would keep... pick uh, artists who then did nothing. I keep hearing about people getting nominated for best new artist who I swear have been making music for, like, three That's years. That's also sometimes true, but... For, like, the, the big thing for a while was the, like, you get nominated, and that's the death knell for your career. Um, this year it was absurd that SZA didn't win, but uh, if that holds true, then I guess it's good she didn't win. Um, but so, so you know, we, we've got sort of, like, this, because we're definitely in a time now of cultural tumult, you know, uh, Trump winning, all that stuff is, would be a backlash against the increasing diversity of the american culture and landscape some award shows seem to be trying to grapple with that in a positive way or at least a more active way and others seem to be sort of doubling down on what they've always been doing so um yeah i don't know if you guys have any other thoughts on on that idea but it was something that i was thinking a lot about um, I think one thing that I thought was interesting was like the Oscars last year versus the Oscars this year. Cause even in light of like all the, the hashtag me too, and all the stuff, like kind of the sexual assault reckoning with uh, Hollywood this year, I did find the ceremony to be interestingly less political than last year. And I feel like, I don't know if that's just partly because everyone's fucking tired at this point. I'm sorry, you guys don't swear on this podcast. Pete but, can leave it out. But just that, like, I think we're all tired. And it just, I don't know. I, I mean, not that that gives them a pass. I think that they actually really sort of soft-shoot around some stuff that I think would have been interesting to really kind of be more hard-edge on. But, like, last year, I feel like 
it was such a more political show. I don't know. Well, and I do think that at a certain point, I start to feel like, okay, you're saying these things in your acceptance speeches, and that's fine. I think you should say what you whatever you want to. I'm not a person who thinks that just because somebody is an entertainer means that they don't get to have a political point of view. But at a certain point, it becomes, okay, this is what you're saying, but what are mm-hmm. you doing? Um, so I would almost rather the Oscars not be political in favor of seeing action rather than just hearing words. Um, it's one of the things that I appreciated about Francis McDormand's speech, which was up. not just a speech, but it was also a really good opportunity for all of us to learn what an inclusion writer is, which I just thought was fabulous because that was her space. And I'm about to explain what one is, but it was her not just making a like a verbal point in her speech about increased diversity in films, but her offering something actionable that people that have her kind of star power can and I, do. I had heard that she had just found out about it like a few weeks ago and was sort of like, whoa, what is this thing? Why have I never heard about it before? Does no one know about this? Which was one reason she like very much I- included that in her speech. So for anybody listening to this podcast that doesn't know what an inclusion writer is, an inclusion writer is a writer that a star can write to their contract that says, I will make this movie for you if you guarantee a certain level of diversity in both the cast and the crew that is involved in making this film. Um, Kind of famously, I don't remember what the movie is, but I'm sure Lizzie can help me. Um, Jessica Chastain had one for Octavia uh, Spencer in a movie that the two of them were in together. Was it The Help? They were in The Help together. I don't know if they've been in another movie together, but the internet will tell me. Yes. Um, But yeah, so she basically said, I'm not going to be in this movie unless you agree to play Octavia Spencer the same amount of money that you're going to pay me. And because she's Jessica Chastain, they did that. So it's an actionable way for white, powerful, A-list celebrities to actually help improve the diversity and inclusion in the movies that they make. Or as we all hopefully learned this week, America's Boyfriend, uh, Michael B. Jordan, also said that he's going to do that for every movie that he's in going forward. And, and that's so, production you know, which, company produces. Right. And this is one of those things that always causes um, horrible racists on the internet to come out and say, oh, well, they should just hire the most talented people. Why are we making race? Like, why are we making it about race? And it's like, well, because people who aren't people... That that argument was tired 20 years ago. Because it matters for opportunities. Like, it's the worst argument ever because that assumes that everybody has an equal opportunity to get to the same places. And as we all should know, if we're rational human beings, that is simply not true. So I, I don't, you know, I still hate three billboards, but I was really glad that Frances McDormand used her speech to not only be political, but be political in a way that can have an impact. It's not just words. It's not just her saying Mm -hmm. something. So going, going off that, I, yeah, I was just gonna. I was just gonna say. I will be interested to see if people start to talk more about inclusion writers, because I feel like that's the kind of thing that celebrities could feel like they get easy brownie points for doing. Um, 
going off what you were saying sort of at the beginning there, Martha, about um, done with, like, political speeches, where's the action? I did really like Del Toro's speech. I think it was for directing, but it might have been for picture, um, where he sort of talked about his own immigrant background and the way that movies can and should be used to sort of show a, a diverse society and and i think he used the word like erase the lines that divide us things like that um as we were talking about earlier i thought that this year did a great job at showcasing a wide variety of pictures um and uh yeah so i i think that 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 is one thing where like it, it, it is just words it is just speech but it's speech coming on the end of something that actually exemplified what the speech was about um, which hopefully then can lead to more well, and, of things like that. And Del Toro unapologetically makes the movies that he yes. wants to make. Like he casts the people that he wants to cast. One of the amazing things about Pacific Rim is even though the main star of that is a white Australian dude, um, you have a Japanese woman who is just as important as he is. And you have Idris Elba who is, um, I think probably the most memorable character in that movie. So like Del Toro's always just made what he wants to make. And that happens to frequently be movies that position women or position people with disabilities or people with color in the central uh, roles, which I think yes. is fascinating. Also. Yeah. That was, that was the speech that he gave as producer for um, shape of water, where he also oh, directly, uh, right? talks about, um, no, he gave it when he accepted the award oh. for Best Picture as the producer mm -hmm. for Shape of Water. Um, but when he talks about, like, Alfonso Cuaron and uh, Inari Two, whose first name I'm forgetting, um, are both Best Pick or Best Director winners and are also both yeah. Mexican immigrants. Um, yeah, I thought his speech was really lovely. And I especially enjoyed it because I'm always here pulling for genre film and he got to talk about how, you know, you can tell real stories about real people using fantasy and sci-fi. And I just thought that was lovely. He's also just like a sweet man. So clearly like he's so like <laughs> earnestly delightful. I love him. Uh. I loved every time he got up and gave uh, Gail Garcia Bernal a big hug and their friendship yeah. warms my heart. I one of the things that I found delightful about this ceremony was how genuinely happy for everyone else everybody seemed. Like, Greta Gerwig, somebody gift the shot of her mouthing, like, I love him when Del Toro wins Aww. Best Director. And it's just, I love it when people can be supportive of... I love it when you have nominees where just across the board, they're also quality that everyone's just happy when someone. Yeah. Wins. And, and this year I thought, especially in the best director category, it was a, a embarrassment of riches, which is always a good place to be. I'm forgetting one who all was nominated besides, I know Greta Gerwig, Jordan Peele, no uh, one. obviously. Oh, okay. Toro and Nolan. Paul Thomas yeah. Anderson, right? Yeah. Nolan was who I was forgetting. Four guys in Greta Gerwig, okay, which was but... my favorite joke of the night, actually. Also unfair because two men of color, two white guys sure. in Greta Gerwig. Yeah. True. So get out of here with your white feminism, Emma Stone. Yeah, get out. That, yeah. Um, 
<laughs> that was bad. Uh, not as bad as my tweet to Martha about wa- uh, the shape of water weighing something. I'm gonna cut that. It, it, it was about Good, the weight. It was about the it was weight a of bad water. Joke it was the a first great time. Joke the first time. Um, it wasn't. Oh, I'm not on Twitter. What was the Martha joke? had something about like <laughs> the the shape of water was carrying a lot of weight, and I responded, uh, "The weight, like, yeah, about eight pounds per gallon or something. That's the weight. Is that of the weight of water. Um, yeah. Lol. But hashtag." Pretty good dad joke. <laughs> Correct. Uh, uh, Martha, do you want to talk about the changing definition of what it means for a movie to be best picture? You've got that on the show notes. I would, in fact. So as I have said uh, frequently before, and in fact earlier in this episode, the movie that wins best picture is not frequently the best movie that was made that year. I mean, I think best is a very subjective term um and you know my favorite movies aren't necessarily the best ones that were made and aren't going to be pete's favorites and you know so on and so forth but what i do think the best picture award is useful for looking at is um capturing what the conversation is in pop culture and in movies that year um i think the best picture can be either the most important movie and all of these all of these qualifiers should be in big fat quotation marks because remember these are the opinions of a body of voters that don't necessarily re- uh, reflect um, the wider movie going audience but it can be the most important movie or it can be the most fun movie or it can be the movie that most celebrates other movies because man does the academy love a movie that makes it feel good about I'm itself the <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> Sidebar. <laughs> I'm mad about that one because the correct choice that year was another movie that also loved movies. So of Hugo and uh, the yeah. artist, how do you come out on the side of Okay. <laughs> um so like last year we had Moonlight, which was a beautifully made film it was an incredibly interestingly made film it was a beautiful story it had absolutely amazing performances um and was also i think very directly in response to the oscars so white uh, as lizzie has already kind of pointed out um i think this year the shape of water is a lot of things it's also wish fulfillment it's a movie where you know it's got a group of minorities fighting back against a white toxic masculine character in the shape of Michael Shannon. Um, and I'm sorry, Lizzie spoilers. Um, it has a happy ending. Um, so I think that best in this case was the movie that was the most exquisitely or was an exquisitely made movie that all made us feel happy at the end and also allowed us to feel like some kind of evil had been defeated, which I think is a fairly apropos message for the last mm-hmm. year. Yeah, the the ending actually, I, I had a little bit of a Pan's Labyrinth feel at the end of Shape of Water, but more... Um, we talked about Pan's Labyrinth last episode, and there's a lot more... Um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh... 
you're not sure if it's a happy ending at the end of Pan's Labyrinth. You're much more certain at the end of Shape of Water, but it still had that kind of feel of it to me. That's ambiguity. ambiguity. That's exactly the word I was looking for. But I also feel that we all know as enough about Del Toro to... This is actually a really interesting thing that he does, is that he'll film ambiguous endings, but then come out very vocally in favor of the happy one. So it's like, he wants to give his audience space to decide what they want to see in it, but then he himself is also like, but I gave it a happy <laughs> Which ending. Which completely checks out about what we know about the guy. But yeah, I think it, it, that's... Uh, it's important to remember that best picture does not mean best movie, especially when we, you know, look back on years where things like Crash uh -huh. won or <laughs> you all, you all hate Gladiator. I love Gladiator. Okay, I don't I don't hate Gladiator. I don't think the year that it was nominated that it deserved to win. Crouching Tiger nominated? probably should have beat it. Uh, Crouching Tiger, that Hidden Dragon. That did for best foreign language, and I don't think ever has a, a, a foreign language movie won Best Picture. I honestly, um, I dislike it when the Academy nominates a movie for Best Picture and then also nominates it for Best Something Else. Because then it's like, well, you're just filling a slot here. Oh, like, like Best Animated. Every animated movie that has... Yeah, I mean, when Wally was nominated for Best Picture... And best animated film. I'm like, well, this was legitimately the best movie that I saw this year, but it's mm -hmm. not going to win. Um, it's hedging hedging their bets in a weird way. But anyway, Academy Award for Best Picture nominees in 2001: Gladiator, Traffic, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Chocolat for some reason, and Aaron Brockovich. That's a yeah. thin list. Like of that list, I might put Crouching Tiger up there. I know Aaron Brockovich has a lot of supporters i actually haven't seen it so i'm not gonna throw any shade that way but like eh. it's fine i mean mostly if you compare crouching tiger hidden dragon to gladiator they're both big scale historical epics that tell like a doomed romance kind of story and of the two of them i think crouching tiger is much smarter um, okay and also this year proves my rule about best screenplay because Almost Famous won in Best Original Screenplay, and O Brother, Where Art Thou was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay, which are both better movies oh than my God. all of the oh nominated Brother Best definitely picture. should have been nominated. I was going to say, oh, yes. Or, like, one, but, like, bare minimum nominated. Yeah. So, you know, you take the nominees with a grain of salt. You look at what is the Academy going to feel good about itself for nominating. Um, they really love well-crafted movies, which I think is why um, big historical epics like Gladiator get nominated. Uh, they like movies that make them feel smart, uh, like When a Beautiful Mind won. Um, they really like musicals, weirdly, which is not something that I would have expected. Um, but that's the only reason, that's the only uh, thing that I can suss out for why Chicago won Best Picture. But like, um, I, and I kind of wish I knew more about this, but I do know that in recent years they've changed the way that voting for best picture happens. Every other category is a pure just like up and down vote, whoever gets the most wins. But best picture is like a ranked voting system. Yeah, it's like first they rank 
first year rank movies to see what is gonna what are gonna be the nominees, and then I think they put them in the order that they want them to be, and there's a certain number of points assigned for like for every voter that puts this movie in the number one slot, it gets this many points. It gets X number of points for being in the number right, two which means slot. That divisive films are less likely to win, and middle of the road like safe movies could win like this year it didn't happen but conceivably a like banally fine whatever movie like the post could have won just because everything else was divisive enough that it was like you know uh, some people put it at one but other people would put it at nine and that sort of throws it out um that that obviously didn't happen this year it didn't happen last year either uh but for Oscars going forward, we could see sort of a weird upset happening like that, which I think underscores your point, Martha. Um, I honestly wonder how long the Oscars are going to remain relevant as sort of the pinnacle awards ceremony. I don't think anything currently exists um, to replace them in the popular consciousness. Yeah, I was thinking about this a little bit when we were talking about the Grammys. Um, not that I think that there's anything comparable to the Grammys in terms of music. I mean, there's other music awards, but I do think that music in some ways, just because I feel like people find and share and listen to music in a really diffuse way, it's like the Grammys almost aren't as meaningful. Whereas movies, I mean, I know we have like Netflix and Amazon and stuff like that, but it is still, I don't know, There, it's, it's almost it's more straightforward to consume movies and so in some ways i think that the oscars have just a little more relevance if well, that makes and sense. going along with that and i think this is what you're getting at with like sharing and finding music in diffuse ways there's so much more music out there every year than there are new movies um and, and so many more niche like it's also categories. yeah it's way easier to share like i i'm not I do not mean to denigrate the amount of work that goes into making and producing a music album. It is very impressive. It is a lot of work. Um, but I do think that the internet and things like SoundCloud have made it easier to share your music on a smaller, like there's, there's more the same, available to listen to that is easier to the find. The same can be said for YouTube and like small filmmakers. Um, when we're talking about True. like but but like music at the level of the grammys versus movies at the level of the oscars okay there's just so much more music which which makes it more diffuse yes, yes i think we're all i think yes. we're all in agreement yeah um but but like do you think that the oscars martha would just like go away and nothing would replace it or like it would sort of fall into irre or like increasing irrelevancy like the grammys um, or do you think that something would rise to replace that it? one? Okay. I, I think that in terms of the industry looking at people to like give jobs to looking at projects to fund, looking at people, um, to keep an eye on, I think that the Oscars will continue, but I think that in terms of, um, industry relevance things like the sag awards for example will become more important for someone's resume than to be an academy award winner mm. i don't think that's right. true right now 
which is why I'm actually really excited to see what Guillermo del Toro does now that he is a, you know, Oscar award-winning director and also producer. Please I would like make to that know mountains of what studios movie. will trust him. Oh, in my, in my wildest oh, dreams. He could, uh, he could team <laughs> up with uh, that thing you just tweeted today about uh, Lin-Manuel and uh, Laura from uh, Logan uh, doing his Dark Materials. I guess uh, uh, any any final thoughts then before we wrap this up? But yeah, I, I do think that a lot of the um, like the Me Too and the Time's Up and the way that Hollywood is getting a little bit more unabashedly political means that the, the Oscars are either going to have either going to have to shape up or shut up. I think that they either are going to have to get more relevant, um, which I do think that they are making motions to do with their new voter base um, and all of that. Um, or cinema is going to move on without them. And if that happens, I think we will see one of the awards, one of the award ceremonies that is more open to a more diverse representation of film, uh, take the Oscars place in terms of relevancy to film. I don't know that we'll ever see anything take the place of the Oscars in terms of spectacle and just celebrating movies for movies sake. But in terms of industry relevance, I do think that they are going to have to start paying more attention to the realities of where the film industry is slowly but surely headed. And that's all the time we've got for this week's episode. Uh, You can find us on the web at homeworkpodcast.com. You can find us at Twitter at DYDYHpodcast. Email us at show at homeworkpodcast.com or check us out on Facebook at Did You Do Your Homework. Uh, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you're listening to this right now. We're probably on Google Play. Who knows? Please rate and review us wherever you're listening to us um, so that the algorithm elves make it easier for other people to find out about us. Um, Lizzie, do you want people to find you online? If so, where? No, All thank right. you. Um, no, I'm good. Cool. <laughs> but thank you for joining us. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Yes. I guess in the interest of full disclosure, Lizzie and I watched the Oscars together. I don't know yeah, why that you matters. Watched, you watched the Oscars while also participating in Twitter. So this that's is true. Good. I. <laughs> I might store a file of my Oscar tweets and just throw them up on the blog so anybody can take a gander at my very deep thoughts, which include things like Common is a National Treasure and uh, Rita Moreno looked just as good in 1962 as she does, or rather looks just as good now as she did in 1962. I do like the real-time reaction to these things because uh, it's so ephemeral, but also like, you know, useful as that snapshot of the moment. Um, Martha, you're, it's yeah. very fun. You were talking about storifying your Twitters. Uh, what are your Twitters? Sure. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at magical Martha. Um, I tweet a lot of nonsense and sometimes I get super mad about movies and TV. Cool. Uh, recently I was getting really mad at people telling women what they should and should not be wearing in order to attract the right sort of man. So it's a mixed bag on my that Twitter. That seems like just sound advice for women, probably coming from some dude. Oh, yeah. 
Abs- yes. Uh, for me, you can find me on Twitter at Pico3000, P-I-K-O 3000, uh, where I'll make snarky jokes like that, some of them better than others. Next week, we're going to be talking about niche culture and niche communities. Uh, Martha, what are you um, assigning as homework? Uh, insert evil maniacal laugh here. I am making... Well, actually, Pete, do you want to tell everybody who our oh, guest sure. is going to yeah. be first? Uh, so our guest for this and, and the person who assigned it is a friend of mine, Austin Delmond. He is assigning uh, some video game speedrun videos. One of them is of the um, Star Wars Jedi Knight Jedi Knight Academy by Covert Muffin is the speedrunner. And then he's got one... Uh, he wants someone. He wants people to watch um, some charity speedrun videos. Apparently, there's a lot of them. Pick one and watch at least a little bit about it. Uh, we're gonna put the links to this on the website because they're all on YouTube, and nobody wants to hear me read some YouTube URLs. Uh, I am making everybody watch a 2006 doc- 2016, sorry, documentary called Fursonas. Which is about the furry community. Because nothing says niche community like furry community. It was actually my very first thought when you uh, brought up the <laughs> It was like yet. my second thought when I was thinking about it. LARPers were my actually, first. Actually, my, my first thought... My first thought was fangirl, but we've already mm-hmm. read that for the yep. podcast. Uh, well, and I'm, I'm going to bring in the book for this uh, homework. Uh, I'm going to assign the 2004 mm-hmm. novel Wolf in White Van by John Darneal. Uh, John Darneal is most famous as the uh, singer and songwriter for the band The Mountain Goats, um, also the star of the podcast. I only listen to The Mountain Goats, uh, but Wolf in White Van was his first novel. So that's what we're doing in two weeks. And until then, class dismissed. <laughs>